Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Happy Mother's Day again. Thank you, babe. Thank you. Some of you lost your excitement about Mother's Day real quickly there. Hey, listen, I'm excited to get to to share with you today. We are in the middle of a series called The Way I See It. And if you haven't been here for any of these messages, I want to challenge you to go online and listen to the podcast because they have been incredible. There's one part that you won't hear in the podcast, so it's a good thing that you're here today because I'm telling you we're going to have a little bit of fun. But this whole concept of this series is based off of the parables that Jesus taught. And a parable if you're not familiar with that, is a story. And it's a story that has a deeper meaning, right? Some of us are familiar with this because when we were younger and we told a lie, our parents would tell us the story about the little boy who cried wolf. Anybody? Yes. Two of you. That's great. Um, Apparently that was just me. But the whole point was is that there's a story that has a deeper meaning that we can actually take away and apply to our life. And when Jesus was teaching, he often taught in the form of stories. And I imagine there was probably some people sitting around, maybe his disciples, maybe some of the people in the crowd that were going, why is he telling us stories? Why doesn't he just unpack the Holy Scriptures? And that's actually exactly what Jesus was doing. He was just unpacking it in a way that we could understand. And so what we're doing in this series is unpacking some of the parables of Jesus in a way that you and I can walk out the doors of church and apply it to our life. And so today, I get to tell you the story of the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee and the publican. Publican is actually just a word for tax collector, okay? And this story is found in Luke chapter 18. And I'm gonna start by reading you this story in the New King, or in the King James Version. You see, the Bible was originally written in Greek and in Hebrew. And so when it was translated into English, it was first translated in the King James Version. And I'm gonna start with this because I think sometimes when we read this scripture like this, we think, wow, I have the hardest time understanding what this means. But we also think, maybe I'm supposed to pray like this or talk like this, and that's not the case. But I want to start there just to have a little bit of fun. So we're in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, and it says, And he spake. I don't know why they used the word spake, but they did. And he spake this parable unto certain certain whom we don't know, but unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing far off, would not as much as lift his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast. I have no idea. Smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you this, 
man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted." So this is the parable of Jesus in the King James Version. But what we did with this parable is we went and we told this story to your children. And we asked the kids to tell us the story back the way that they see it. So for your enjoyment, the way that they see it. The way I see it, Jesus said, so there's two guys who went to church. One was nice, one was not so nice. Um, and one was nice because he gave everything to God, and one was not because he want, because he was because he was rich and he was acting so so rude. Um, and God said, um, if you put your nose in the air, you'll trip, you'll fall flat on your face. That end. I think that's so perfect. If you put your nose in the air, you will trip and fall flat on your face. How much more perfect can it be, right? So that is the way that they see it. But we're going to unpack today what I think God's trying to get in our hearts from this story. And I love to read this in the Passion Translation of the Scripture, and it's found Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. I love this version. It says, Jesus taught this parable to those who were convinced they were morally upright, and to those who trusted in their own virtue, yet looked down on others with disgust. We could stop right there, and it's the whole message, but we'll continue. Once there were two men who went to the temple to pray. One was a proud religious leader, the other a despised tax collector. The religious leader stood apart from the others and prayed, how I thank you, O God, that I am not wicked like everyone else. They're cheaters and swindlers and crooks like the tax collector over there. God, you know that I never cheat or commit adultery. I fast from food twice a week and I give you a tenth of all that I make. And the tax collector stood off alone in the corner away from the holy place and covered his face with his hands, feeling that he was unworthy to even look up to God. Beating his breast, he sobbed with brokenness and tears saying, God, please, in your mercy and because of the blood sacrifice, forgive me, for I am nothing but the most miserable of all sinners. Then Jesus said, which one of them left for home that day made right with God? Well, it was the humble tax collector and not the religious leader. For everyone who praises himself will one day be humiliated before all. And everyone who humbles himself will one day be lifted up and honored before all. You see, I love that Jesus taught us in stories because he was not just saying something, he was helping people to see it, right? And that's what a story does. It helps us to see it. And as I was reading in Luke chapter 18, I found it really interesting that just immediately after that story in verse 15, Jesus, we find him and they're bringing some children to him. And it says, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
So I want to challenge us at the Movement Church today to receive what God wants to say to us like a child. And I'm going to come over to my cozy little chair over here because I have a story that I'm going to read to you. So I'm going to ask you to open your hearts and to say, God, what do you want to speak to me today? Because I think this story is basically a rewritten version of this parable that Jesus shared. Are you ready for it? This is called Sydney and Norman, a tale of two pigs. I think you're going to like it. On a quiet street in a quiet town lived two pigs. They didn't oink or eat slop. No, this isn't that kind of story. They wore suit coats and went to work. And even though they lived right next door to each other, they didn't know each other's names. The pig on the right was Norman. He was a very good pig. Rules and hard work had always come easily to him, and it showed. His house was neat and organized. He always looked his very best. He gave money to the needy, and he never missed church on Sunday. Norman's teachers liked him when he was young, and his boss liked him now that he was all grown up. He was pretty sure God liked him too. <laughs> After all, he was a very good pig. Norman figured that everyone could be as good as he was if they would just try a little harder. He wondered why they didn't. The pig on the left was Sydney. Things didn't come quite as easily for Sydney. Rules and systems and schedules seemed, well, a bit slippery. One minute he would think he had them, and the next minute, whoops, where'd they go? He was forever running 10 minutes late and could never manage, no matter how hard he tried to get his tie perfectly straight. Not like his neighbor, uh, what's his name? Sydney got in trouble in school, which frustrated his teachers. He got in trouble at work, which frustrated his boss. He knew that God was watching and figured he was pretty frustrated too. But most of all, Sydney frustrated Sydney. Why was everything so hard? Why couldn't he be more like, what's his name? Sydney felt broken, and some days that made it hard to get up in the mornings. Some days, in fact, Sydney couldn't get up at all. Since Sydney was usually late and Norman was usually early, they very seldom saw each other, unless, that is, they happened to fetch their mail at the same time, which is exactly what happened one bright morning in October. Now, normally, if Sydney saw Norman, he would look down and shuffle back inside. He was sure that Norman was staring at his tie or his hair or the papers half stuck out of his briefcase. He was sure Norman was looking down on him for being messy, which, for the most part, was absolutely correct. But this day, Norman didn't look at Sydney's tie and Sydney didn't look away because they were both staring at the small pale blue envelope they received in the mail. One was addressed to Norman and the other to Sydney. Hmm, had someone invited them to the same party? Eager to unravel the mystery, the two pigs opened the envelopes. Norman read, Dear Norman, and Sydney read, Dear Sydney, followed by, I would like you to come visit me at 77 Elm Street next Tuesday at your convenience. I have something to tell you. They both glanced at the bottom of the page. Sincerely, God. Sydney and Norman reread the invitation several times to make sure they'd read them correctly. God wanted to talk to them on Tuesday on Elm Street? Sydney panicked. Deep in his heart was this familiar feeling, the feeling that he had felt when as a young pig, his teacher had sent him to the principal's office. Terror, panic, doom. Norman smiled. He too felt a familiar feeling, the feeling he had felt when as a young pig, he was called up to the front of the school to receive an award. Anticipation, happiness, pride. 
Sidney taped the invitation inside his front door so he wouldn't lose it, and Norman entered the date in his date book. Both pigs had trouble sleeping that night, but for very different reasons. Tuesday came. Norman awoke early and dressed and headed down the street with the pale blue envelope firmly in hand. Just waking up, Sidney saw him pass by the window and rushed for a shower. Norman walked tall and proud. Others on the street noticed he looked a little bit taller and a little more puffier than usual. His hair was neat and his tie extraordinarily straight, much straighter than anyone else's on the street. God would certainly be pleased. Norman found the address and went inside, greeting the woman at the front desk with his important voice. She directed him down a long hall through a heavy wooden door and into a large room where he found God sitting behind an immense desk. The sight made Norman nervous, but then he thought, what did he have to be nervous about? He was a good pig. God walked around the desk and smiled at the puffed up pig. I'm glad you could make it, he said warmly. I have a few things to tell you. First of all, God began, I love you. Norman smiled, though he wasn't surprised. <laughs> Secondly, your goodness is not the reason I love you. Norman startled a little. What a curious thing for God to say. Thirdly, God continued, you're not as good as you have led yourself to believe. You're prideful. You're selfish. You look down on others simply because things don't come as easily for them. God looked a little sad now. I love them just as much as I love you. Don't look down on those I love. Then God smiled and returned to his desk. That's what I needed to tell you. Norman swallowed hard. That was the award? That was the commendation? Confused, he ran down the hall past the front desk and back into the street. His head was spinning and he felt dizzy. Was God finding fault with him? But he was a good pig. He noticed his tie was off kilter and he hurried to straighten it. Not perfect, but at least better than that fellow over there in the yellow jacket or the guy in the blue or any of these people for that matter. And then it hit him. He was looking down on those people right then, right there, just like God had said. And he had done it yesterday and the day before and 20 times a day at least. Norman's face grew hot. God was right. He was selfish. He was prideful. And for the first time in his life, the good pig had to face the fact that he had been very, very bad. His pride in his goodness was his sin. He buried his face in his hands and hurried home, tears splashing on his nice gray suit. And from his window, Sidney saw his neighbor return in frozen shock. Was he crying? Sidney couldn't breathe. Oh dear, oh dear. If that's what a visit with God did to that guy, he was doomed. <laughs> Hands shaking, Sidney tried one more time to get his tie just right. Why was it so hard? Now, where was his hat? Not on the hook, of course, under the couch. Hat in hand, he peeled the pale blue envelope off the door and stepped outside. A bird was singing that morning, but Sidney didn't hear it. The sun was shining brightly, but Sidney didn't see it. Doomed, doomed, he thought. Sydney trudged down the sidewalk and suddenly was back in school. A little pig headed down the long hallway to the principal's office, hands sweating, heart racing, doomed. He'll see right through me, Sydney thought as he turned onto Elm Street. My messes, my mistakes, everything. And then he was there. Though he had walked as slowly as he could, he was there. 
Sydney stepped inside and tried to say something to the woman at the front desk, but found he couldn't speak. She motioned him down the hallway to the heavy door, and he gulped. He stood for a few moments at the door and wanted to run away. He wanted to hide, but there was no place to go and nothing to hide behind. So hat in hand, he pushed open the door and slipped inside. And there behind the desk was God. Sydney gulped. I'm glad you could come, God said, smiling. Sydney tried to respond, but couldn't make a noise. I want to tell you something, God continued as he came around the desk. Sydney glanced around nervously. Maybe if he apologized. First of all, God began, I love you. Sydney startled, surprised. Secondly, God continued in a quieter voice, I love you. Sydney was gripping his hat a little less tightly now. And thirdly, God paused very close to Sydney. I love you. The look in God's eyes warmed Sydney right down to his toes. That is what I wanted to tell you, God said as he stepped back towards his desk, still smiling. Sydney stood frozen for a moment and then realizing God had finished, he turned and ran quickly from the room. I don't understand, he said out loud when he reached the street. Didn't he see me? Didn't he see who I am? It didn't make sense. And then it occurred to Sydney, I did it. I fooled him. Sydney looked at the others on the street smiling. Yes, that must be it. I looked good when it was most important and he bought it. But just then Sydney caught his reflection in a store window. His hair was rumpled, his tie off kilter as usual, and his suit sported a large toothpaste stain. His smile vanished. That couldn't be it. He couldn't have fooled anybody looking like that. Sydney was confused. There was only one other possibility, that God just loved him exactly like he was, messes and all. Sydney felt the warmth he had seen in God's eyes welling up inside of him. And others on the street would later talk about a small, messy pig they saw that day that appeared to be, well, glowing. All the way home, Sydney looked for words to tell everyone what he was feeling, but all he found were tears, happy tears, lots of them. Now, the next day, the two pigs emerged from their homes on a bright, crisp October morning and looked at each other. The pig on the left, named Sydney, who seemed a bit taller than before, looked at the neighbor's neat, straight tie and clean clothes and smiled. And the pig on the right, named Norman, who seemed ever so slightly less puffy, looked at his neighbor's crooked tie and rumpled hair and smiled. It was a real smile, too, the kind that comes from deep inside, the kind he hadn't smiled in a long time. Sydney and Norman became good friends. There were still mornings now and then when Norman would wake up feeling a little bit puffy, but all he had to do was remember what he had learned at 77 Elm Street, and the puffiness would quickly vanish and the real smile would return. And as for Sydney, he still had his share of messes, though not as many as before. And there were still a few days when he wasn't quite sure he could get up in the morning. But if you stood outside his window on one of those days, this is what you'd hear. First of all, he loves me. Secondly, he loves me. And thirdly, he loves me. And that was all it took. The end. What a powerful story, right? You know, I, I could leave it right there because I think every single one of us could pull something out of that story we could apply to our life. And I think that every single one of us can identify a little bit with both of these pigs, with Norman and Sydney. But it's likely that each of us in this room could identify specifically with one. 
You know, all of us have a little bit of the Pharisee and a little bit of the publican in us. And in this entire message, the goal here is to help us realize that none of us have arrived. There's not one person in this room who is better than anyone else. But what we want to do is identify the areas of our life that God might be trying to speak to. And I want to first focus in on Norman, the puffed up pig. You see, Norman, the the puffed up pig, he had always done things pretty well. He, he was pretty good at most things he tried. Things came easily to him. And this had become a point of pride for him. And I imagine that some of us in this room can relate. Maybe you're here and you did great at school. Maybe you made great grades. Maybe everything you tried out for, you made the team. Maybe you succeeded at a lot of different things that you set your heart and your hands to. Maybe you didn't get in trouble very often. Maybe you're the one who won all the awards. And I imagine that as an adult, you've probably been promoted into leadership quickly because there's this ability inside you to do things right. Maybe you identify with Norman and and following Jesus has actually just come very easily to you. You read the Bible, you pray, you love God, and you have enough sense about you to know that you're not perfect but you feel pretty good about where you're at. And first of all, I wanna say this message is not intended to bring condemnation for a life well-lived. Listen, it is okay to walk in confidence and to be proud of yourself at times. Because sometimes I think that the person who struggles with being Norman or the Pharisee, I think sometimes we worry that, well, I don't really have a story. I don't really have a testimony, so to speak, because everything in my life has just kind of, I followed the rules and and things have fallen into place. And, And I know that some of you might identify with that and feel like I don't have a testimony. And I just want to challenge you that you do. Because when you realize that it has nothing to do with your goodness, but everything to do with the grace of God, the grace of God and the gift of God on your life, then you realize that that is your story. You see, every single one of us is just one decision away from stupid. It's real. Every single one of us. And see, Norman, when he stood before God, God came, and the first thing he said to him, and I want you to hear this as well, the first thing is, I love you. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you exactly where you're at. But the second thing was this, your goodness is not why I love you. And then he said, you're not as good as you've led yourself to believe. And this is where Norman had kind of gotten things wrong. He said, you're prideful and you're selfish. And you look down on others because things don't come easily for them. But I love them just as much as I love you. So don't look down on those I love. Now, you don't need to raise your hand and nobody looking around and don't you dare elbow a spouse or a friend that you're sitting next to. But do any of you identify with Norman? Have you ever found yourself frustrated with the people around you thinking, if I can do this, then they can do this? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. This is what I identify with. It's where I struggle the most. Because often for me, I have such a high standard for myself that that can easily translate into a high standard for others. And if I'm not careful, that's going to become a point of pride. And I want to challenge you that if you identify with Norman to evaluate that in your own life. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
You know, we started this in the parable found in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, and it started with this, that Jesus taught this parable to those who were convinced that they were morally upright, and those who trusted in their own virtue, yet looked down on others with disgust. You see, once there was two men who went to the temple to pray. One was a proud religious leader the other a despised tax collector. And the religious leader, he did this. He stood apart from the others and prayed. How I thank you, God, that I'm not wicked like everyone else. They're cheaters and swindlers and crooks like the tax collector over there. God, you know that I never cheat and I never commit adultery and I fast from food twice a week and I give you a tenth of all that I make. I just want to challenge you If you're here today and you identify with the Pharisee, and you identify a little bit with Norman, and remember there's that that way I gave you to evaluate that. If you're sometimes looking at others going, come on, if I can do this, you can do this. If you identify with that, I want to share three things today that I believe every single one of us can do to deal with the Pharisee in me. Okay? Every, every one of us can do this. Deal with the Pharisee and me. And the first point is this. Number one, don't stand apart. Don't stand apart. You see, the Pharisee, he separated himself. He stood apart from everyone else, partially because he felt like he was better than everyone else. And Romans 12, 16 tells us, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I love it in the Passion Translation. It says, live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be mindful of another's worth as you are your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you are too important to serve others. But be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble-minded. Listen, don't be smug or think for a moment that you know it all. My challenge is if you identify here, the first thing to deal with the Pharisee and me is don't stand apart. Don't separate yourself from people based on your own judgment. Listen, church, we can learn something from everyone. We can learn something from everyone. So don't separate yourself out of judgment. Make it your goal to actually get to know someone who is not like you. Make it your goal to get to know somebody new whose story is not like your story. Listen to them for a little while. Hear their story. Empathize with the things that they are walking through or have struggled with and learn how to share God's love because that is our job to do. So the first thing is don't stand apart. The second point would be don't compare. Don't compare. Listen, Pride is judging myself by comparing my health to someone else's sickness. I'm going to say that again. Pride is judging myself by comparing my health to someone else's sickness. You see, the Pharisee, he said, how I thank you, O God, that I'm not wicked like everyone else. They're cheaters and swindlers and crooks like the tax collector over there. And I just want to challenge you, Movement Church, that the moment that you think that your sin is better than someone else, you have fallen into the sin of pride. The moment you think 
that your sin is better than someone else. You have fallen into the sin of pride. And we won't even get started on judgment today. That's another week. But listen, I want to challenge you to evaluate this in your own life. You know, if you're walking down the street or in, in a church environment like this and you see someone who has the flu, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? They're usually very pale. They're usually like the clammy sweats that are happening, coughing all over the place, and you're backing off slowly thinking, I do not want the flu today, right? We can recognize when somebody has the flu. But my mom and my stepdad, they just went on vacation with a good friend of theirs. They were on the beach. They went out on a boat fishing. They had the best time. And when they got home, two weeks later, their good friend couldn't get out of bed. He couldn't walk. They took him to the hospital and found out that he had bone cancer. And it had been there under the surface for a while, but it had just made itself very clear in his physical body to where it was evident and you could see it. And I just want to challenge you that pride is a lot like cancer. It manifests from the inside out and it can go undealt with for a while, but eventually it's destructive. Eventually it's destructive. It is, it is easy if you're not careful to look at the obvious sins of other people. There are some things and decisions that we make that are very evident to everyone around us. There are some things that are easy to see and point out and go, that's not okay. There are some things that are like that, but there are other things that are under the surface. Gossip cheating, lying. There's some addiction issues that can go hidden for years and nobody may know, but we so easily point out the sins that we see in others, unwilling to deal with the things that are under the surface in our own life. And I just want to challenge you, church, that God really does want us to deal with that sin of pride if it is something that has taken root in our life. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, I love that God told Norman, you're prideful and you're selfish. You look down on others because things don't come easily for them. But I love them just as much as I love you. Don't look down on those I love. Listen, it's easy to see and find fault in others. But I just want to challenge you that the words God had for Norman are for us today too. Don't look down on those he loves. We got to learn to see people like God sees them and not compare ourselves to other people. So number one, don't stand apart. Number two, don't compare. And number three, honor God with your heart. Honor God with your heart. Now listen, the Pharisee, he got up here and he talked about all the things that he did. He talked about how he fasted twice a week. He talked about how he gave his tithe and he helped the needy. And, and all of those actions actually are not bad things. Those actions are good things. In fact, actions should follow what's happening in our heart, right? The Bible says in James that faith without works is dead. So there should be some actions associated with what's happening in our heart. But I want to challenge you that God wants you to grasp the fact that he is far less concerned with your actions than he is with your heart. I love the verse in 1 Samuel 16, 7, and it says this, the Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. And I just want to challenge us, church. We've got to be willing to evaluate the state of our heart and where our heart is with God. We've got to be willing to recognize that we all sin. 
all of us, every one of us in this room, we desperately need God's grace. Every single one of us desperately needs God's grace. And I want to challenge you, if this is you, and you identify with Norman, if you identify with the Pharisee, listen, let your actions be motivated out of your love for God, not the need for approval. Let your actions be motivated out of your love for God, not the need for approval, approval from man, approval from God. Listen, just let it be driven by love for God. Acknowledge that you need him and submit your heart to him. James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up with honor. Listen, this is something every single one of us can learn from. Every single one of us can take these three points. Don't stand apart. Don't compare and honor God with your heart and let the Holy Spirit begin to do a work in you. I believe that for those of us who struggle with being Norman, that as we go about the next few days and the next few weeks, I believe God's gonna bring this story to our memory and remind us of that puffed up pig and help us deal with our own puffiness because I really believe that God wants to do something in our lives. But I also wanna talk to those of you in the room who might identify more with Sydney, with the tax collector. See, every one of us in this room has a little bit of mess in our lives. But maybe you feel like that's just where you live. You live in the mess. Maybe you feel like you just can't get it together. You just can't seem to get it right and you struggle with comparison. Constantly comparing yourself to somebody else going, I'll never be as good as and you really feel like you're not good enough for yourself, for others, and even for God. And you know, the tax collector in this story, it says in Luke 18, verse 13, the tax collector stood off alone. Maybe some of you feel a little bit isolated today. Maybe that's of your own accord. Maybe that's just you feeling like nobody sees. The tax collector stood off alone in the corner away from the holy place and he covered his face with his hands. He says, feeling that he was unworthy to even look up to God. And I don't know how many of you came to church today struggling to even show up, wondering if people will see through the facade. I don't know your story, but God does. And it says that the tax collector beating his breast sobbed with brokenness and tears saying, God, Please, in your mercy and because of your sacrifice, forgive me, for I am nothing but the most miserable of all sinners. You see, this man, he recognized his shortcomings. He recognized his sin. He recognized his failures. And he sought the mercy of God. And some of us here today need to understand the mercy of God. Mercy is undeserved favor. It's undeserved favor. You see, the tax collector stood here knowing that there was nothing he could do to earn God's mercy. There was nothing he could do to deserve it. And maybe that's a realization for some of you today. 1 John 1.9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. The parable tells us, Jesus said, which one of them do you think made it home that day, right with God? Well, it was the humble tax collector and not the religious leader 
For everyone who praises himself will one day be humiliated before all, and everyone who humbles himself will one day be lifted up and honored before all. And I just want to talk to some of you in the room. Maybe you showed up to church today feeling a lot like Sydney in the story. Maybe you feel like you won't ever measure up. Maybe you feel like there's areas in your life that you just can't get together. Maybe shame or depression or anxiety, failures, sometimes make it hard for you to get up in the morning. Maybe it was hard to show up today. And you feel like to be accepted, you have to be fake. And you may think that you're fooling people, but you won't fool God. You won't fool God. He sees through your mess. And listen to me, church. He loves you in spite of it. You, you got to know God loves you in spite of it. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And there's nothing you can do to earn that. And some of you need to walk in the freedom today that just those simple words can bring. Some of you need to start to walk a little bit taller, like Sydney did, to hold your head a little bit higher, to walk in the confidence that God loves you. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. There was nothing we could do to be qualified for the love of God. It's the free gift for those who believe. But the love of God is the thing that empowered Sydney to be different. Knowing the love of God is the thing that empowered him to hold his head high. It empowered him to walk with purpose. And though there were some days that were still hard to get up in the morning, listen, life may not get perfect, but it sure does get great when we recognize the love of God. Romans 8.38 says this, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, listen to this, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. Listen, there is no power in the sky above or the earth below. There is nothing in all creation that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, that's worth a hand clap. That's worth getting excited about because I'm telling you that God does want to deal with the puffiness in our own lives. He does want to deal with the Norman inside each and every one of us. But I believe today that God wants to speak to the Sydney that's inside, that's been struggling to acknowledge the love and acceptance of a father, of a God in heaven who will not reject you. He will not let you down. His love cannot be separated from you. There is nothing you can do to earn it. It is freely yours. And I want to pray a prayer with somebody in the room this morning. I believe that maybe you're here and you walked through the doors of church really just not sure what you believe. You've been wrestling with faith. And I'm here to tell you that there's a God in heaven who loves you. And just like Norman and Sydney had an invitation that showed up on their door, 
You are here today on purpose. And I believe that God's extending you an invitation to say, could you just trust me? Could you just believe in me? Could you just believe in my love? And if you're here today and you've been wrestling with your faith and you've been struggling with what you believe in, could you just today give God a chance? Because see, this isn't a feeling that happens. It's a decision that we make in a moment. And there's nothing we do to get our lives together or fixed up first. We just simply extend our hands to receive the free gift of God's love, of God's grace, of his mercy, undeserved favor. And I believe there's some of you in the room today who you've been running from God and you've been trying to do things your own way and it's not working out the way that you thought it would. And I just wanna challenge you that today's the day to come back, to realize that no mess is too big for God to handle. But today, he wants to remind you how loved you really are. So could I ask everyone in the room right now to take a moment and bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you, if you identify with one of those two things I just talked about. Maybe you're here and you've been struggling with faith and you're not sure what you believe. Today, my challenge to you is, would you just give God a chance? And if you're here and you've been running from God and trying to do things your own way, today is the day to stop running and to come back. And I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment. I'm not gonna ask you to pray out loud. I'm not gonna ask you to get out of your seat, but in your own heart and in your own mind, right where you're sitting, would you just pray that prayer with me if that's you? And it's a simple prayer, and you can just say in your own heart between you and God, Dear God, I know I've sinned. I know that I'm a mess trying to do things on my own. And I ask you to forgive me. Today, I'm making a decision to follow you. And all around the room, if that's you, and you're praying this prayer, just let these simple words be the cry of your heart. Jesus, I give you my life. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, I thank you that you are helping all of us. God, every single one of us to identify the areas in our life where we need to trust you more. God, to identify that you truly do love us right where we're at. God, I thank you for the people right now who've just been wrestling with even accepting that. And God, I pray that today, would be a marker in history, that they would remember that they are loved by you, no matter what. And for all of us who struggle with a little bit of Norman, God, would you just convict our hearts this week and help us to love people like you love them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you please email us at info at theocmovement.com. And if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Please send us an email at info at theocmovement.com. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.